Good morning, church. Please stand for the reading of God's word. This is Revelation 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far away in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet wool, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning, what city it was like the great city. And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heavens, and you saints and apostles and prophets, 
for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone with a, like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Church, go ahead and have a seat. Michael, thank you for reading that this morning. That's a big text. Um, Join me in prayer as we uh, start our time looking at God's word. Father, first of all, we just thank you for this morning. Uh, Thank you for the privilege of being able to come into this space and to worship you, to lift our eyes to you, sing praises to you, uh, to take of your supper, which you gave to us through your son, uh, to be reminded of your grace and mercy. Lord, this is a, a, a tremendous privilege. And as we celebrate, even this week, just the the privilege of living in this country, a place that so many other people want to come to, to have these kinds of freedoms, to be able to join together without having to fear. And and so, Lord, we're grateful for that. We're grateful for all the sacrifices that have gone in uh, to make this country what it is and to uh, the people that have stepped into leadership. Lord, we are truly, truly grateful for that this morning. But, Father, we also want to take a minute to just pause and pray for our country. Because as we read about Babylon, we can see many of her characteristics in our own country, in our own world. Father, we're so blessed with freedom, but what so often happens with freedom comes running after the world. And we see that in our world. We see it in our culture. And so, Lord, I want to pray over our country. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to turn our eyes to you. Father, we as a country would turn away from the spirit of Babylon. Father, we would, uh, that we would not pursue all that she promises. But Father, we would pursue you and we would pursue your kingdom. And so we pray, Lord, for your church to, um, even this morning as we hear this word, that we would be faithful to come out of her. Because we know that in that, we will begin to see changes within the, the countries in which we live. Lord, I pray that, that we would not only be faithful to come out of her, but to proclaim your gospel. Lord, that you might draw many others to yourselves. We know that's the only way to change a country. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bear that kind of fruit. Father, just as we pray for this, as we look to this, we look this morning to what feels like an overwhelming reality in our lives. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit would be with us, pray that your spirit would guide us and lead us, Lord, that as we walk out of this space, we would be more equipped to be faithful in this place for the good of the city, for the good of the country which you've placed us in, that that we might be a testimony and salt and light for this country. So we lift up the church, we lift up our time, we lift up our country and our nation. Uh, Father, we lift it all to you this morning. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. 
Uh, so definitely a lot for us to cover today. Before I jump into that, I, I want to first of all say thank you to Tucker, who's stepping in for Ryan, who is in um, Guatemala right now with my wife and I think uh, several other of our members of our church. And so just want to say, um, if you guys are watching, we're praying for you. Um, but just real quick, want to let you know that if you didn't already, Tucker actually is going to be starting work here um, as a member of our staff uh, starting on Monday. What a great week to start. Um, so if you remember, um, Tori DeHillig, who has faithfully served our junior high students for years, um, has recently had a little baby who and Andrew are celebrating. Everything's going great with their family. Um, but as Tori kind of steps a little bit away, um, we're bringing Tucker in to help within our junior high space and some other areas, outreach and some other things within the church. So super excited for uh, Tucker, um, also for Tori and Andrew as they start this journey, and then also as she kind of figures out what's next steps for her in ministry. So if you see Tucker, uh, just say thanks to him, encourage him. Uh, he's got a big journey ahead of him as he kind of learns things, but we are so excited to have him with us. But for this morning, we're going to turn our attention to Revelation chapter 18. Now, if you were with us last week, you know that we started um, Revelation chapter 17 and 18. And I said last week that these two chapters are, are very tightly connected to one another. And ultimately, we kind of pointed to what's the goal of this? What is it that God has given these texts of Scripture for us as his people in 2023? And one thing we said last week is that um, we would be able to see and be able to recognize who this spirit or who Babylon the Great is, this, as we saw last week, this harlot that rides upon the beast. Like, who is she? What's she doing? And so we talked about that last week. And if you didn't, if you weren't here last week, please go on our podcast, go listen on the app last week, because I don't have time to cover all of that. And it's so important as you look at that foundation of who she is. But shortly, let me just, let's remind ourselves who Babylon is. And we talked about last week, Babylon seems to represent the spirit of the age, this spirit of luxury and pride and wealth and, and delicacies and pleasure and all these things we're, we're seeing people run hard after. And we talked about how the beast was kind of this idea of the nations and, and how Satan uses the nations to kind of further his purpose. And so just think in terms of our world and our day and age. We have great places, great countries in our world, Great Britain, America, and all over the, uh, the, the world. And on their backs, the ability for this spirit of pride and luxury and pleasure to kind of go forward is kind of, uh, it's kind of, propagated by those nations. And so that's kind of what we're seeing. And you see that really, really even more take place in vivid imagery as we look at chapter 18, right? So who are the ones that are wailing and weeping as the great prostitute or Babylon, the great city, falls? We see kings and merchants and traders and shipmasters because they're, they're upset because they can no longer make wealth upon this spirit, right? They can no longer make wealth upon people chasing after pleasures and people chasing after this idolatry as we seek to turn our eyes away from God to these things. As we talked about last week, like this is all over our world, and we need to be mindful of what this spirit is trying to do to us as the people of God to seduce us, to get us drunk on these things. And in chapter 18, we see her fall, and we see kind of the ramifications of that fall, both with those who make profit upon that spirit, but also those who are leaning into that spirit to find their satisfaction and their comforts and their security, right? What happens as that falls apart around them, like they find themselves wailing and in torment. 
But the people of God, on the other hand, at the end of chapter 18, what are we doing? We're praising Jesus. And so this is a huge thing for us, and we talked last week that our goal is not only to recognize this spirit of our age, but also as it gets worse, as Jesus gets closer to coming back, like what is our call in regards to this reality? And we see that in Revelation chapter 18, verse 4 through 5, which we read this morning. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Like, I read that text, and I think it's so important that we recognize that there seems to only be two options for God's people. Option one is we come out of her. We don't partake in her sins. Option two is that we compromise. Uh, like, here's the thing. I don't like that kind of black and white thing. Like most of us don't. Like we'd prefer there to be a little bit of gray, right, where we can kind of play around with things and not worry about this. But God is taking this really seriously. He's like, listen, you're either going to come out of her or you're going to partake in her sins. There is no option in between. Like this is a serious thing to God. And so we need to take it with the same seriousness. And with all that we see in chapter 18, it reiterates the reminder for us that, that her spirit is alive and well in our world. And it is likely going to get much worse before we hear fallen, fallen is Babylon. So what do we do in the meantime? Well, we need to come out of her. And so what we're going to do today is focus our time on thinking about, as Christians, how can we do that practically? And so there's seven things I want us to look at as we look towards moving away or leaving Babylon. Now, it's important as we start into this, don't forget why Babylon is so dangerous. Because when she speaks and the spirit of the age starts to call upon us, it is calling to what is most natural and feels best to our flesh. Like it is a carnal calling. When we hear the callings of this world, like it feels like the most natural thing we can do. It feels right. That's why we see in scripture and texts, like in Judges, where in that season of time, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Like that's what this is. It's why when we look at the world, like we can expect the world to be chasing after all of the things she offers, right? I guess I think it's interesting sometimes that we as Christians get surprised when the world chases after the debaucheries and the evil and the wickedness and the stuff we see all over the place. Why are we surprised? Are they not only doing exactly what they should be doing in darkness? Like they're chasing after their flesh. They're doing exactly what all of us did before Jesus. At least I did. I did it with an abandon. I just, just chased after whatever my flesh desired. So in this, if this is our goal and we understand this, we understand uh, what, why this is so tempting to us and we want to come out of it, what are the things that we can do? Well, the very first thing I think is the most important thing, and it is this. We need to walk in the Spirit. You cannot do this alone. You cannot defeat the flesh with the flesh. Let me say that again. You cannot defeat the flesh with the flesh. And a lot of people in this room have tried to defeat the flesh with the flesh. Instead, we are to be the way Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5. Look at it with me. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, 
Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Like that statement right there, do you not feel that? You want to do these things sometimes? You're seeing a battle in this text between the flesh and the spirit. They are in contrast to each other. They are in conflict with each other. This is a war that is going on. If you think it's going to be easy to defeat your flesh, read this text. Memorize this text. But yet it starts here. As believers, we always have hope of freedom and deliverance. Amen? Not because you're strong enough, but because the spirit of the living God lives in you. And some of us this morning, like you come into this place, man, you feel trapped, you feel defeated because you have listened to the spirit of the age and you have chased after the pleasures in which she offers. I want to encourage you this morning that as long as and if the spirit of God is living in you, you have hope. Keep fighting. You keep fighting. And everything we talk about from this moment forward comes back to this because he is our strength. And hopefully as we leave today, we'll have a better understanding of exactly how to do this, how to actually walk this out as we go about our lives, as we go about mowing our lawns and going to the pool and cleaning our houses and hanging out with all your friends tomorrow, or not tomorrow, I guess it's Tuesday, and having barbecues and and enjoying life and just living life. How do we do this? Well, that's where we get into some of the next things as we seek to leave Babylon. The first thing we need to do, our second thing, I guess, we need to do is we need to keep her lies before us. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, Proverbs 7, I actually think, is a very helpful text for us. In Proverbs 7, Solomon is writing to his son or his young men um, a warning against adultery, against the harlot, against those that might want to pull their attention away from their spouses. And so I think in that text, we have some ways that are helpful for us. But I want you to look at what the harlot is saying in Proverbs chapter 7. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, Let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He is gone a long journey. What is happening here? Is what she is promising to the young man, is that true? Is it real? Like, you you can find pleasure with me. Like, it's, it's better than being at home. Come, take your fill. Like, you can be satisfied in me. Like, what a promise that is. Delight can be found. Just follow your desires. It will be fantastic. So here's the thing about this. Sometimes the lie is not that easy to spot because there is an immediate gratification to pleasure, isn't there? Like there is an immediate gratification to pleasure. Oftentimes the lie doesn't become obvious until later down the road, right? So if you've known anybody who stepped into adultery, they believe that it's going to satisfy them. And then later down the road, you see the, the havoc and the wreckage that it causes. The anxiety, the fear of being caught, the lies, the deception, the brokenness in a home. Like you don't think of all that stuff in the moment. In the moment, it feels good. 
And this is the reality with sin. Sometimes it feels good when you start off with sin. Sometimes when you look at it at the beginning, like it feels good. And it feels like it's actually going to come through on its promises. And the destruction only comes later down the road. Like this is the way life is. He tells us lies. Um, I've got before me here um, a cup of, or a, a little bottle of soda. Some of you love this stuff. I'm not going to tell you what kind it is. Some of, as I'm pouring this, some of your mouths are starting to water right now. Like, anybody want this? Like, we see this and we think, man, like, this, this looks amazing. Like, this looks really good. Like, this is going to quench my thirst. Like, this is going to satisfy me. Like, it's going to feel good. I'm thirsty. Some of you are getting more thirsty even right now. Like, after the service, you can come up and take it. It's nice and cold. Right? You like the, the, the feel of the bubbles going down your throat. You're like, man, this stuff is amazing. And you think, well, what's the problem with it? Like, it's just, it's just soda. Like, it's good. But here's the problem is it doesn't actually give you what it promises, like, water refreshes us, yes. Water hydrates us, yes. But in this, even though it's 89% water, give or take, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that isn't good for us, right? Now, I know that doesn't keep you from drinking it, doesn't keep us all from drinking it, and I'm not against soda. That's not, it's just an analogy. Take it for what it is. Uh, don't be like, Darren tells us we shouldn't drink soda. Well, maybe you shouldn't, but nonetheless. Like, but, but, but this stuff is not good for you. It's the worst kind of liquid you can literally put in your body, I think, that's at least edible. Right? The sugar wreaks havoc on your pancreas. It makes us gain weight. The phosphoric acid in it makes it keeps our bodies from absorbing nutrients and calcium. Like, it has an addictive, um, like, ca- like addictive space to it. That's why our mouths start to water, because as we get the dopamine hit from drinking all the sugar, like, like we want to go back to it. Like you're, you're tired and you're exhausted and so you're like, man, I'm gonna go drink some caffeine and I'm gonna get this sugar and you do. And then like an hour later, you need to take a nap, right? Because you go on the blood sugar crash. Like this doesn't actually fulfill its promises, does it? Like it lies to us, but when we step into it, it tastes good. It feels good going down. It satisfies our thirst for a moment, but it's not water. It cannot be water. And too much of the stuff will wreak havoc on our bodies, and we may not see the effects of it until years down the road. Years down the road. The point is, it's not to stop drinking soda. The point is, is to recognize that when pleasure speaks to us, it's lying to us. It will not bring the life that is promised It won't even bring the life that we think we're getting when we're drinking it down. It actually leads to more problems than it promises to mend. Everything apart from God is doing this. Babylon, this world, our culture, it is lying to us daily. And come over here, find joy, satisfaction, take your fill, but you will never be full. Because the Bible tells us the eye never stops wanting. The flesh cannot be satisfied. But she always promises. She's always promising you find satisfaction. And there's no consequences if you come to me. My husband's not home. Like, you can keep this in secret. 
We see the same idea in Revelation chapter 18, right? Verse 7 says, I sit as a queen. I'm no widow, and mourning I shall never see. I'm never going to see consequences from this. Like, it's going to be fantastic. You're going to experience life in this. You won't ever feel mourning if you run to the promises of this world. But here's the thing. Either she's lying or God is. Amen? Because he tells us he's going to remove her in a single hour. Like over and over again in the book, in chapter 18, we hear in a single hour, in a moment, in a day, like she's going to be gone. What you put your hope in, gone. What you put your satisfaction in, gone. The pleasures, gone in a second. We won't even see it coming is what this text points us to. Like it's going to be gone in a moment. Either she is lying or your experience is lying. Meaning, you, you all recognize this in your own hearts, don't you? And you all recognize, like, you can never get enough. Is there ever enough money? Anybody hit that cap? Please come and talk to me. Like, give some of it to me. <laughs> I love it. That'd be great. But is there, any, is there ever enough money? Is there ever enough praise? Is there ever enough compliments? Is there ever enough affection given to you? Is there ever enough security to be had? Is there ever enough food to eat? No matter how much we eat, we always get hungry again. There's never enough sex. There's never enough alcohol. There's never enough power. There's there ever enough fame. Is there ever enough likes on Facebook or Instagram to help you get rid of your insecurities? Like we all know there's never enough. Like it lies. Like it's a constant empty well. And I can tell you from experience, as I know many of the rest of us can in this room, the answer is absolutely no. It is a lie. There is never enough of any of these things. Because like the soda, like it looks good, it tastes good, it even feels good initially. But at the end of the day, it's going to lead us to some bad spots. I think this is a really important thing for the church because I grew up in a time and a day and age as a Christian in Christian high schools and Christian church where I was told over and over again, man, if you do this, bad things are going to happen. And it was always the consequences that were told to keep us from doing bad things, right? So if you go get drunk, you're going to get drunk and then you're going to get in a car and you're going to kill somebody in a DUI. If you go home with that girl at the party, she's going to get pregnant or you're going to get some sort of a disease, consequence, constantly fearful. But you know what I found out and what I saw happen and so many of my friends as they came out of high school, as they went into the world, they started to kind of test the waters. And you know what they found? Those consequences didn't happen, at least not initially. They got drunk one night and yeah, they had a little bit of a headache, but nobody died in a car accident. And so they started saying, well, wait a minute, this is all really fun. This is all really enjoyable. This all feels really good. Sin always feels good. That's the whole point, isn't it? We need to be really honest with our kids growing up. Like, sin feels good. It feels great. That doesn't mean it's the right thing for you. And it doesn't mean it won't lead you to death. Because you can avoid the consequences for years, but they will come eventually. Even if that eventually is when you stand before the throne room of God and then you have to deal with your consequences. These consequences are there. And oftentimes when you see the consequence, it's too late. 
You're already in it. You're blind to it. And you'll love the darkness more than the light, and so you'll stay. And here's where we need the Spirit to come in and help us, because we need to ask the Spirit, is there, is there any lie that I have bought in my life? Is there anything that I've traded, anything I've gone to you towards that I, I need you to help change my heart? Spirit, is there anything I'm using in a way that's not appropriate? Like, we need to be constantly going to the Spirit because we can't always see the lies in front of us. Lord, is there something I'm believing that I shouldn't be believing in these things? So we need to keep those lies before us. We need to be constantly reminded of those lies. Next thing we can do is we can be self-limiting. That's fun. This is a culture all about limiting ourselves, right? Like, that's enough. You're good. We hear that on every commercial, don't we? No. That's sarcasm. We never hear that. And yet, is it not true that this is exactly what Jesus says? Jesus says, die to yourself. Galatians says not to gratify the desires of the flesh. We have examples in the scriptures of guys like Daniel who lives in Babylon and he's trying to be pure and he has put before him steak and bacon and breads and he chooses the vegetables. Personally, I'm going bacon. Some of y'all vegetable people, I don't know what's wrong with you, but bacon, like that's where it's at. And yet Daniel limits himself. He denies himself even though it's so much better. Or at least it seems like it is at the beginning. Listen, this is part of the Christian walk. It's what we've been called to, to die to ourselves. Not, not to die to our souls, but to our flesh. The question is, are we limiting ourselves in this world? For the sake of purity, for holiness, connection to the Lord, are limiting what we consume? Do you limit what you watch? Do you limit what pleasures you take in? Do you limit anything? Is your flesh gratified or is it starved? Let me ask that question again. Is your flesh gratified or starved? One way to know is to look for the sacrifices and the painful decisions of your life that you've had to make for the sake of Jesus. Are there any? I say this because to say no to the flesh almost always feels like sacrifice. To say no to the flesh almost always feels like a death. It almost always feels like a pain. There's no getting around this. Because when you starve something, it screams at you. It's hard to say no. It's hard to limit our engagement with this world, especially when we look at the world, and man, it looks like they're having a blast. And read 18. Like, are they not like rolling around in luxuries and cinnamon and myrrh and frankincense and wealth and power and everything your heart could dream? And we want that. We look at it and we're like, oh man, like I want it. It's hard to say no. But again, here's where the Spirit comes in. As we walk in obedience and faith, as we limit those things that make such promises to us, those things that feel so natural to us, even those things that might be part of our identity, as we lay those things down and we plead with the Spirit, He will change our desires and renew our souls. He will be faithful to make Jesus and obedience more pleasurable than the sin around us.
And if you've never experienced it, then that's hard to explain. One of the best analogies I can think of, though, is think of debt counseling. So some of y'all, you've got a lot of debt, like credit card debt, so you know what this feels like. Some of you don't, but you can kind of imagine. If you've got, say, tons of debt in your credit cards, just it's crippling debt in your credit cards, and you decide you want to go get counseling because you want to get out of that debt because you're tired of living in fear, you're tired of living in, in constantly paycheck to paycheck, and you just don't know what to do. Like, if you've ever been there, you know all the anxiety that comes in that. Your financial counselor is going to say to you, you're going to have to say no for a while. That's hard. When you've lived your entire life whipping out the credit card and paying for it, I'll just pay for that later. Like, I'll just get what I want right now. I'm going to get the immediate gratification now. And your financial counselor says, no, put it in the freezer in a block of ice. Some of you have heard that. Don't do it, don't spend it, don't buy what you want for a season. You pay that debt down until it's gone. Listen, if you've been in that space, you know that is hard. But over time, there is a freedom that comes that is life-giving. You begin to find peace. You begin to find uh, that you're not enslaved anymore to that debt, that you now find freedom. But it's not an easy path. Like, it's not natural for us. This is not a decision that we do one time in our lives. We do it every single day. No, I'm not going to give to the flesh. I want to walk in accordance with the Spirit because that is where I know life is. And we give that to Jesus every single day, every action, every desire. We should be self-limiting. Fourthly, church, don't play with fire except for Tuesday it's okay then like because I'm gonna play with fire on Tuesday but don't play with fire I'm gonna go back to Proverbs chapter 7 and here's Solomon speaking wisdom to the young man he says I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense so this is not someone we want to be right he lacks sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. This has been one of the most convicting parts of this sermon for myself. Because I confess that at times, I lack sense. Because I love to play with fire. I love, at times, to play with just a little bit of sin, right? Right? Am I the only one that feels that way? Like, we, we'll get rid of the big bad stuff, but the little stuff, man, we want to keep our toes in that. Like, we want to keep kind of playing with it. I don't want to have to deal with the consequences. That's what I want to get rid of. I want to just keep kind of holding on to it. And so we walk by the house, and we look kind of in the window, and we kind of dream like, oh, man, I wish I could have that drink again. It tastes so good, and it looks so good, but, but I shouldn't. It's bad. So you know what I'll do is I'll just... You know what, instead of like going full on into looking at pornography, I'll just look at this one little picture. Instead of, instead of going and getting drunk at the bar, I'll just walk down the alcohol aisle and smell it. Oh, that smells good, right? Just a little bit, because just a little bit's not going to harm me. And you think all the while, like, you're just going to resist the temptation. No, you won't. You'll fall. If you're a problem, if you're somebody who has challenges with, with food and gluttony, Stay out of the refrigerator for crying out loud. Don't think that looking at the ham is going to make the desire go away. It's going to make it worse. 
If you're someone that deals with your vanity, stay off of Instagram. Like, we all have these issues, and every single person in this room knows your issue, and if you don't know it, then you need to be asking the Spirit of God to reveal in you your weaknesses, because they're different. Here's the deal. Let me just be honest. I can walk down the alcohol aisle at my grocery store, no temptation, zero. Never been drunk, think the stuff is nasty, don't want it. I think y'all look crazy when you're drinking it. Like, you act like nuts. I've been to Arrowhead Stadium when everybody in this whole place is drunk, and you're like, you guys are crazy. Why would anybody want this? Zero temptation for me. Does that make me better? No, it just means mine's different. Because I cannot touch with a 10-foot pole TikTok because it is a never-ending stream of flesh. I can't stay, I, I gotta run from it. That's, that's my thing. You all have it. You know what it is. At least you should know what it is. Stop playing with fire with it. Like if you struggle with alcohol, get away from it. If you struggle with, with materialism, stay off Amazon for crying out loud. If you feel like, man, I got to always stay on the top end of fashion because that's where my value is, stop looking at what's coming out tomorrow. You won't resist the temptation. Church, we fall over and over again because we want to play with fire. We want a little bit of our sin. We don't realize the challenge that's coming, though. When we play with fire, we're going to lose every single time. Don't mess with the sin. Don't peer in the window. Don't walk by her, her house at night like you're going to fall. Next, we need to redirect our loves. Paul says it best when he says, I count all things for the loss of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. That's where I want to be. Amen? That's where I want to be. I want to pray every single day that I would see him more clearly because that is the best defense against the beauty and seduction of Babylon is to look at Jesus. That's why in Revelation, just in two more chapters, in 21, we see a contrasting city. We don't see Babylon, but we see Jerusalem and it is beautiful. And I just finished that sermon and I cannot wait to share what God has for us. Like we look to something else we are not capable of just stopping to do something. There is no way to forsake all others for the sake of just forsaking them. If you try, you're just resisting your flesh with flesh. So again, we'll go back to my, my soda. If I stare at it all the time, I'm like, man, it looks so good. But I don't want to do it. It looks so tasty, but I don't want to do it. Man, I, I could smell it. I could smell the sugar. And it I, I want to drink this, but I'm not going to do it. And I'm just looking at it all the time. And, and, I, and I want it so bad. Like, I'm, this is a prison. Is there freedom in this? Like, this is miserable. To live my life just constantly wanting something, but never gaining it. But, but you know what happens? You know what God wants to do? He wants to change your desire so you don't even like that stuff anymore. So I grew up on soda. I can remember that's maybe why the, this analogy worked so well for me. I loved it. I, I, I loved the taste of it. I thought when I got married and we started to kind of move away from soda, that eating pizza without some form of soda in front of me was like gross. So I was like, well, you know what? I'll just go with Sprite because at least it's clear. <laughs> right? Like surely that's better for you because it's clear. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do that. And I wanted it so bad 
and it, and it tasted, and my mouth would water, and I was like, man, pizza's nasty without something fizzy. And so after a while, my, my wife would put water in front of me, I'd be like, so gross. No taste, awful. You know what happens though? After a while, if you've done it for a while and you've gone through the sacrifice for a while, I'll tell you right now, now years past, this holds no temptation for me. I don't like it. I don't like the taste. When I drink it, it feels so sweet. I love, I love some seltzer water because I still like the carbonation. I thought that stuff was nasty growing up. Some of y'all are shaking your heads like it is nasty. Because you're used to this. But here's the thing. What happens to us as Christians, that as we're looking at the thing that we love and the thing that we want so much, we need to turn away from that and say, Lord, give me a new desire. Make it you. Because if you just trade this for Sprite, you're in the same problem. There needs to be a new desire. And that desire has to be Jesus. Church, let me tell you this as somebody who's experienced it. Jesus is better. You may not feel it, You may not be able to experience it right now. You may feel the longing for the sin that you struggle with, but Jesus is better. Hang in there. Keep fighting. Don't redirect your love to him. Let me give you a very practical tool that helps you, that can help get in the habit of this, and you need the help of the Spirit. And it's this, thank God for everything. Lord, thank you for my spouse. Thank you for what she does for me. Thank you how she loves me. Thank you for how she's, she does this and she does that. Like it's hard to want to look at someone else when you're so busy thanking God for what you have. Thank God for your beat up, run down car. Thank him. Thank him for the food that you're about to eat tomorrow or Tuesday when you get together with your friend. Thank you for the pool you get to swim in. Thank him for everything. You stand in the mirror and you struggle with vanity Thank him for the way you look and you have the ability to go to the gym because there's a whole lot of people that can't. You thank him. Thank him. Because as you thank them over and over again and your eyes are going to be directed to him and your heart and the spirit of God in you will stir your affections for him because you will recognize that nothing comes apart from his hand. And he is the source of everything. So just one tiny little tool. Like you want to redirect your love? Thank him for everything, like constantly. And you know what? That takes discipline. I tried really hard for like a week to just do that all the time. And I mean, it, cha- it was amazing what it did to me, like even towards steering me. And I want to do it more than just a week. I want to do it for my life. So thank him. Redirect your love. Next, walk together. You know, Jesus could have done ministry alone. When he called the disciples, he could have just called two or three, but he called 12. When he sent the disciples out to do ministry, he could have sent them to 12 different villages and covered more ground, but he didn't. He sent two. When Paul went on his missionary journeys, like he went with Barnabas and Timothy and and Mark and Luke. We're not called to be just sons and daughters individually We're called to be the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people, the church of God. When we take our communion together, like it doesn't say when you wake up in the morning, take of this supper. It says when you do what? Gather together, you take of this. You are not alone. And if you try to walk alone, you're going to find yourself falling. And I know that's a whole other sermon for another time because so many people try to do it. 
But we need to be walking with people every corner of our lives in unity to encourage one another. If you're alone, and you shouldn't be. And we have classes and we have groups and young adults in ministries and college age, women's events, men's events, house churches that are all designed to draw us nearer to one another because we need each other to make this work. We're the body of Christ. And if you say, man, I've tried it, I've tried it, and I haven't found it, then guess what? You create it. You make that community. You build that community. Because maybe God's calling you to lead a kind of community that you don't see in the church, and the church needs you. So you take the responsibility. But don't walk alone if you want to come out of her. Finally, humbly accept correction. As we walk in the Spirit, as He uses the Word of God, as He uses your personal life to communicate to you, brothers and sisters in your life, to talk to you and communicate to you, to rebuke you at times, your conscience, the preaching of God's word in the gathering of believers, as he uses that still small voice, will you humbly recognize and repent or will you stand in pride and continue to do what you want to do? That takes humility. It takes humility to be like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I, I'm, I'm messing up. And this is the whole point of Babylon. What is she saying? She's like, I'm a queen. I'm a queen. I'm never going to experience it. No one but me. I've got this. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. Like, I'm going to sit on the throne. In Zephaniah, we see uh, the city of Babylon kind of represented this way. And I love the way that it puts it in, in chapter 2, verse 15. This is the exultant city that lives securely, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no one else. This is pride. Will we, as the people of God, humbly say the opposite? I am not a queen. I am not a king. I am a servant of the only king. There is no one else but him. Not me. Him, him alone. He knows what's best, not me. He knows what my future looks like, not me. He knows what real good is for me, not me. He knows where real joy is, not me. He knows where real peace is, not me, not the world. Like, will we humbly submit to that? If you don't, you'll just keep walking in pride. Will we humbly accept correction, realizing we are not perfect, nor will we ever be? And if we're not willing to accept correction and make necessary changes in our lives, then we are dangerously close to adopting the spirit of this age. Church, here's what I know. Persecution of God's people is going to increase. Temptations of the world are going to increase until they're gone. The Antichrist and false prophets are going to increase. Will you and me and our families and our kids prepare ourselves now. Will we come out of her now so that we do not find ourselves taking place in her sins and her plagues? I'll leave you with this encouragement. And it's encouragement that is repeated multiple times in the book of Joshua. And I happened to be reading through Joshua as I was preparing this sermon. But as the people of God were about to take the promised land and they looked into the promised land, they're like, man, like, this seems impossible. This seems challenging. Like, these enemies are way bigger than us. They're going to beat us in every way. Joshua was told this, be strong and courageous. 
the Lord is with you. So walk in the Spirit. Be strong and courageous. Put to death the desires of the flesh, though it may be hard, though it may be painful, though the journey and the road may be long. Be strong and courageous. Don't play with fire. Be strong and courageous. Know her lies and live in the truth, no matter how much the world screams at you and tells you you're a fool. Be strong and courageous. Confess and be humble. Be strong and courageous in abiding in Jesus' love. Let us come out of her. Amen? That's what the church is supposed to do. Let's lead our kids out of her. Let's lead our grandkids out of her. Let's lead new believers out of her. Let's encourage one another as we come out of her. But let's, let's do it. Let's work on it together. Stop listening to her lies. Those of you who are not his people, those of you who have not put your faith in Jesus, the call is the same to you. Come out of her. She doesn't want your good. She wants to destroy you. And you may be like those people in Galatians where you're doing what you want to do. And right now you have no desire, none whatsoever. You're like, I- I'm enjoying my life. It's great. Like, I believe I can get away without the consequences for my entire life. And I'm never going to experience it. I'm never going to get um, like diabetes from drinking the soda, whatever it is, right? I, I, I can avoid all that stuff. And you're just like, I'm just going to live the way I want to live. I want you to remember that in Revelation 18, it tells you there is going to be a day when all of your merriment is gone and you will not be able to chase the transitory pleasures of your life. They're going to come to an end. And if that's you, when that day comes, hear me say, turn to Jesus. I don't know when it's going to come, but it will come. Turn to Jesus. And if you're there today right now and you've been chasing after this world and maybe you're here this morning because you found that there isn't really anything in this world, but you don't know what else there is, I'm gonna tell you, it's in Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come out of her. Come and find life. And so I wanna lead us to respond. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer and I'm just gonna be still for a minute because I want us as Christians and non-Christians alike to ask the Lord, how do you want me to respond? And maybe you don't believe in God. Maybe you don't even believe he's here. You know what? Say, Lord, if you're there, reveal yourself to me. I believe that over time, he, he will answer that call if you mean it genuinely in your heart and you want to see him. So we just ask the Lord, like, Lord, is there part of my life where I'm listening to the lies of the spirit of this age? Am I a part of her sins? How do I need to come out of her? And what is the Lord calling you to do? Just take a minute, just be still. Bow your heads, close your eyes. While people in the room are having their heads bow and their eyes closed, I want to invite our elders and our prayer counselors, pastors up to the front. I want you to just be available. Because as we sing this song, I want to invite people to come and, and if they want prayer or they want to talk to somebody to be able to find someone they can talk with. So take just a moment to respond to the Lord.
Father, help us to hear your voice. If we're too entangled with this world, open our eyes to it. Help us to see it. Father, help us to be strong and courageous to lay things down that have been so much a part of our lives. Help us to be strong and courageous to believe that in your presence there truly is a fullness of joy that this world cannot offer. to be strong and courageous to make radical changes in our lives. Help us to be strong and courageous to not play with the fire of sin. None of it. Throw it off. that you'd open our eyes and you'd help us to be conformed into the likeness of your son. We might truly be the light of this world. And we might truly be the light of this great country that we love so much. That we might be a salt and a city on a hill. That people see the joy and the satisfaction that we find in you, our Lord and our Savior. I pray that you would help us to see you so that the things of this earth will go strangely dim. Lord, I pray that you would help us to never try to do this in our strength. That you would fill us with your spirit this morning. Father, strengthen us in your spirit bear fruit in repentance of us in your spirit that we can do nothing apart from Christ who strengthens us so fill us with your spirit I pray Father for those in this room that don't know you God I just pray you open their eyes to the darkness that they are in they don't know it and only your spirit can open their eyes Lord, I pray that some would find salvation and deliverance this morning. Freedom this morning. Lord, we pray and ask all these things.